Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G. We recently heard the very heartbreaking and terrible news that Lisa Michaels from our episode 41 passed away on November 22nd due to health complications. Lisa, to me, was not just a fellow performer. She was a friend. She was someone who, when I went up to see her in Memphis or when she came down to see New Orleans, we stayed at each other's homes. We stayed up all night just talking about the universe and the world and everything. Everything. You could talk about everything with Lisa. Lisa touched so many lives. Everywhere she went, she was like the Pied Piper of fun and happiness. Everyone wanted to be near her. She always connected to anybody. She could connect to anybody in any room. She was a hilarious stand-up comedian, wonderful storyteller, fantastic musician with a beautiful voice. And we miss her. We miss her so much. So we wanted to re-release her episode of the podcast. This was recorded in Lisa's bedroom. Uh, Last year, she had invited myself up and Roman Calger, who's in another earlier episode of the podcast, um, so that we could be part of Queer Fest. Queer Fest is a queer musical and comedy fest that Lisa Michaels co-produced, hosted, ran, just to bring queer folks together. It was so much fun. We were supposed to come back this year and do it again, but COVID took that away from us. So after a weekend of performing, karaoke, listening to bands, eating delicious food in Memphis, hanging out, after all of that, before I made the drive back with Roman, Lisa and I went in her bedroom, closed the door, and spent a good amount of time recording the podcast. The stories she tells are amazing and really do bring out the best in her life. Um, And that's what she always did. So we're happy that we have this piece of Lisa that can live on. So please enjoy episode 41, Lisa Michaels. Lisa Michaels, I am in your bedroom right now. You are in my bedroom. Um, We just told people, hey, we're going in the bedroom. I have uh, been in Memphis for Queer Fest. Me and Han Calger, another comic in New Orleans who's also done this podcast, you welcomed us into your home and you welcomed us to Queer Fest. And we've had such a good weekend. It was a fantastic weekend. I I am so impressed with what happened this weekend. And you run Queer Fest. Well, I was brought into it this year. Okay. So this is only the second year. Randall Little, the uh, lead singer for Glory Holes, uh, I 
gay punk band here in Memphis. He's the one that came up with the idea. And we did it last year, and he asked me to join him this year. And then next year, I'm going to bring in my business partner, the drag queen Moth. And Moth and I have been talking about this for a while. We want to turn Memphis into a queer entertainment destination. And we were talking about roughly queertopia. We're, we're trying to bring this about. So next year, it's queer fest will even be more of a thing than it was this year. And still, four days, 20 bands, 10 comics, that's pretty fucking impressive. Oh, it was amazing. We were at a bunch of different bars. And you had so many people come out, which was so great, just to see the queer scene in Memphis. And I think, you know, we talked about the alternative queer scene right. in Memphis. And it was just really great to have everyone come together. There were some guys from Chicago. Pam oh, yeah, Drew's last night, right? Yeah, yeah. And they were like, we didn't even know. He's from Memphis. We just came by, and we heard about this thing. And so we came, and we're like, this is so amazing. And it was great. It was. It went better than I... I I'm, I'm always nervous you know i've put on shows and stuff here in memphis i have my own show the group therapy comedy show and i've helped organize events for you know fundraisers and i was a little worried like how this was gonna go but it went amazing we didn't lose money either it was, <laughs> we got to pay our performers oh and God. everything that's the best yeah just breaking even is like, yeah that's oh, exactly yeah we weren't gonna get yeah. we just wanted to we just want to be able to pay our entertainers. Yeah. So mission accomplished. Yeah, absolutely. And I met you um, was it about a year ago at the Midwest Queer Comedy Festival. No, you met me before oh, that. I met you in Memphis. That's right. I met you. You were on the You Look Like show. Yeah. I've been to a few times because I've been through Memphis a few times and I love hanging out with you. You do stand up, which is how I first you know, got to know you, but you're also a musician. So I'd like to ask about how both of those started. I can give you the history on that. Holy Lord. Okay. Back in 97, when I lived in Southern California, I've always was really good with lyrics, but I didn't play an instrument and I didn't sing. So I joined a songwriting group and in that songwriting group for about three months and then one day i get there early at this coffee shop and there's some guys that's just up there jamming so i got behind the microphone and started putting my words to their music and they all look at me and they go oh my god you can sing which was news to me because i was told all my life i couldn't sing who told you that you have a beautiful voice thank you i mean that was it i mean truly I, I had that feeling for most of my life. And then I started to pick up the guitar a little bit, but I worked for the post office for 25 years, and I've had seven surgeries for the postal service, including carpal tunnel and bone removed from my elbow and all kinds of things. So I tried to learn to play the guitar, and I learned a few chords, but it was just too painful. So I didn't touch it for about 10 years, right? Longer than that. Then, after I came back from Thailand in 2009, I moved up to the mountains. Well, let me backtrack. Prior to me going yeah, to Thailand. Yeah, like, we have a lot of different pieces. <laughs> yeah. I wrote a, a, a four-chord wonder called Fool's Goal. I played it last night. And I could barely play it, but I, you know, I, I got it across. So when I moved to the mountains, I lived with this woman named Amy. And she goes, Lisa, you play the guitar really pretty. You should learn how to play the guitar. And that's all the encouragement I needed. And I started playing like 8, 10, 12 hours a day. And... Because of my injuries at the Postal Service, repetitive motion, my right elbow would swell up at least an inch. Oh, Jesus. Right? But Amy's son was a pot grower, and he had tons of weed, and he had hash, and it got me through the pain. And I started playing guitar, and it's been life-changing ever since. You know, I've met some very interesting people. <laughs> I got, uh, when I was in the mountains, uh, one of the people that lived there, a guy named Greg Cage, used to be in Canned Heat the band that played Woodstock. He wasn't in the original band, but he's toured with them for years. He brought his girlfriend up to the mountains one day, this 
I call her my hippie big sister. Her name is Brenda Starlight. And she saw me and she comes up, we're going to be friends. And I go, okay. And she took me to LA and started introducing me to the, these aging rock stars. And I started playing music in LA. I, I started playing music on a regular basis. And then I had the opportunity to visit Memphis uh, like seven years ago, right? I lived here when I was 18 for one year. And I got in a horrible car accident. You saw the intersection. We just passed through it a few minutes ago. And I ate a windshield at 50 miles an hour. And I've had four plastic surgeries on my nose. Oh, right? I didn't know that. Two of them while I lived here. That put me out of work. That put me no money. So I went home. Back to California. And that's another story mm -hmm. there. But when I came back to Memphis and visited here in 2012, it had been the first time I'd been here in 15 years. And I stayed here for a month. And I fell in love with the place. In fact, you know, Drew's, the bar we went to last night, my friends took me there the last weekend that I was in town and I fell in love with the place, but I kept going outside, not to get away from the people, not to get away from the smoke. It was Midtown. I missed Midtown Memphis. So I came back the next year and I stayed for two months and I played open mics all over town to see what, how the reaction would be to a trans person singing, you know, in Memphis. And well, here I am. In a band called Midtown Queer, yes. playing all over the place. The last bar I saw you play, everyone knew you and that was amazing. You walked in and everyone knew you. One thing I, I love with your stand up and we'll, you know, delve more into this, but you, the first thing you say when you get up there, well, that I'm, uh, purple -haired. <laughs> I'm a purple-haired Tramazon. And then I go, I'm not just a purple-haired Tramazon. I'm a post-op purple-haired Tramazon, which means I traded in some self-rising flesh for a prefabricated portal to paradise. And I love that. You just come right out and you come out with everything. You're in everybody's face, essentially, of like, this is who I am and my set's going to continue this way. And if you don't like it... There's the door. Yeah. Right. That's how I... Yeah, that's how I roll. I love... Going into a club or a bar and people are looking at me like, what the hell is that? Because I'm, for you that are listening at home, I'm six foot three. I got, um, I'm purple haired. I really do have purple hair. I'm trans. I got big old titties and I stand out. Right? So people are always looking at me like, well, what the fuck's that? And then I get up on stage and either music or comedy, and as soon as my set's over, I got friends. Right? And I yeah. love that. It's like a little victory time every time. I have to prove myself over and over and over again, but I get to do it. And Did you always start your sets that way, or is that something you decided, you know, through the process? The um, pretty much. That's been my thing for the last couple of years. All right. This is how I got into comedy. You know Katrina Coleman from the You Look Like show. Yes. Okay. So... Before I moved to Memphis, when I was just visiting, before I made my decision to move here, I heard that there was open mics for comedy. I started going as a fan because I love stand-up comedy, right? And it's like where I lived, there was no, not in the mountains, there was no stand-up club. So I started going and I, I befriended some of them. They even let me open a show one time playing music. So when I came back to Memphis, I moved here. I already had some friends in the comedy scene and it was around, I don't know, December, January, somewhere around there, Katrina was at an open mic one night, she goes, I'm looking for volunteers for the Comedy Fest. So I approached her and I go, Katrina, I'm not a comic, I'm a musician, but I would love to volunteer. Okay, she gave me some email address to get a hold of her. Week goes by, I don't hear from her. I see her, I bring it up again. Okay, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll get back to you. Don't hear from her. A couple more weeks go by, I go, ah, oh, fuck it, she's not gonna get a hold of me. And then all of a sudden I get this, you know, email from her and she goes, Lisa, I'm so sorry, if you'd like to volunteer, we'd love to have you. And I don't know what possessed me, but I wrote this really smart ass reply, like, I don't know if I can work for somebody who doesn't meet my emotional needs. And I went on this <laughs> rant, right? Just being silly. And then I finished it up with like, well, I have no sense of self-dignity or self-worth. So yeah, I guess I can work for you. <laughs> for free. And she writes back, oh, 
I like you. <laughs> so that weekend of the festival, I got to play bartender. And I had this epiphany because at the time, Memphis had no comedy clubs. So people were like, a lot of comics, at open mics was their stage time. So I had this idea of doing four comics, doing 20-minute sets, which I didn't realize was a lot for some people at the time. And uh, I pitched it to the comics. They loved the idea. I pitched it to this bar that's no longer open, but it was called Kudzu's. And the next thing I know, I'm hosting a comedy show called The Slightly Bent Showcase. And it was featuring comics and music. And after about three months, one of the comics goes, um, Chris Rex goes, you know, Lisa, you got funny stories. You should do comedy. So I went home and I wrote this thing called Aftermarket Vagina. <laughs> and I brought it to them and it was a hit, right? They loved it. And I've been doing comedy ever since. I'm not saying that, you know, I was all polished and stuff when I first wrote it, but it got me in the door. No, you got that adrenaline rush. That yes. Like, and it's like. It hits people their first set. And then it's like, oh, I want to chase this feeling. Yes. And, you know, and I've always been a smart ass. I'm, I'm a stage whore. I know that. I'm a Leo for God's sake. <laughs> you know, it's in me. And like when I go to a, like a doctor's office or something or a restaurant, I try to make the staff crack up. I've always been that way. I just never saw myself as a stand-up comic well that's kind of changed and i do i like doing stand-up comedy yeah. and, I, and i like telling people i like to go both ways because i'm a comic and a musician yeah. <laughs> so you grew up in southern california yes I did. where in southern california did you grow up i grew up primarily in riverside county which is 100 miles inland from la a couple hours and it was where i grew up was a town called hemet h-e-m-e-t opposite side of the mountain from palm springs and um when i first moved there with my parents the town was ten thousand people and it was 30 minutes away from a freeway so it's kind of you know rural i didn't think that i was so rural until i moved here and i started thinking god damn where did i live right but that's where i grew up in i grew up in southern california so la was always an influence and i would go to dodger games or concerts or whatever it wasn't until uh, i met brenda that i really started hanging out in la you know. So small town, 10,000 people. Were you raised religious? Were you were your parents uh, I, together? I became, I became religious. My parents used to go to First Baptist Church. And then when they, my mom used to be the church secretary in this little town we lived in named Beaumont. But when we moved to Hemet, it was like uh, the rich people's church and we weren't rich. So they kind of felt awkward. And after a while, they quit going to church. Well, I became a little Jesus freak and started going to like evangelical churches and stuff. And then my, my teenage years was going back and forth between being a partier or being a Christian. Oh, and also having gay sex and feeling guilty 24 hours a day. That's a tough balance for a teenager. Oh, oh God damn. And then plus being trans and not understanding it, you know. Did you have like, was it a guilt thing where you're oh. like, I'm partying and I, f and I feel bad or Jesus is judging me. So I'm going to go back to Jesus. But then I like, what was the, what was going on in your mind? Guilt all the time. It's like, you know, I couldn't do right. I lived in Memphis for a year when I was 18. I moved back, and then I really got immersed into Christianity. I like I drank the Kool-Aid, and I, I spent about by the time I was 25, I was over with it. But and I used to street witness, and we do, we used to do uh, <laughs> anti-drug talks at the high schools. I'm a big pothead, y'all. If you're listening <laughs> at home, so it's 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 been quite a turnaround, you know. And I was always different. And I always tried to fit in. Kids used to pick on me all the time. And I didn't realize it, but they could see the queer in me, even though I couldn't see the queer in me or I didn't want to see the queer in me or, you know, whatever. So um, my high school was not fun. 
you know, I was glad to move away from Hemet. Did you like immediately graduate and get out of there? Or? Well, my parents, <laughs> <laughs> I turned 18 and my parents basically dropped me to, drove me to Memphis and dropped me off with my surrogate aunt. She offered me a job. Bye. Oh shit. You know, and uh, they were like, legally we're done. Yeah, pretty much. And then, you know, but my parents have never turned their backs on me when, you know, after, after the accident, I had to have the surgeries. I went and lived with them and, you know, I've lived with them a few times in my life. I've been married twice. I have two nine-year marriages. I can't get to that 10th. Yeah. Well, I do want to ask you about that because you got married. Your first marriage, you were... 23 years old. 23 years old. What at 23? And I wonder this. My parents got married when my mom was 23 and my dad was 25. And I wonder at 23, what makes you say like... I want to get married, or is it just... It was cultural. I mean, I come from a family where everybody, you know, gets married forever. My great-grandparents were married for 70 years. I drove my great-grandma to her kid's 50th wedding anniversary. Wow. You know, and so the older generations, they did not get divorced. So that was just life. You know, I was living the life that my parents wanted me to live. You know, you grow up, you, you get married, you buy a house, and you have a job. That's it. You know, go home and work on your house at night. And, and, I, li and yeah. I did that. And it was very unsatisfying. <laughs> <laughs> very. How did you get into the post office? How does uh, that become, you know, a 25-year? One of my father's friends was working for the post office and suggested I take the test. And I took the test. And then I got a letter like a year later. Well, if you still want to stay on the rolls, you know, pl please submit something. And I just go, fuck, they're not going to. They're not going to contact me. And a few months later, they go, would you like to come in for an interview? And sure enough. And that was in 1984. No, not quite 25 at the time. And um, yeah, I stayed there for 25 years. I've had seven surgeries for the Postal Service because uh, I used to be overcompensating for something. <laughs> I used to work super hard, super fast, and I was super uptight. And I ruined my body. I've had back surgery. I've had multiple arm surgeries. I have multiple feet surgeries, you know. What did you do at the post office? I started originally, there's a machine that's no longer, it's an antique now. It's called a letter sorting machine where you would sit at a keyboard and every second a letter would drop in front of you and you would type in three numbers of the zip code and it would go through this machine and be sorted and come out these slots on the other side. And I did that for six years. And then I transferred back to Hemet, my small town that I grew up in. And I worked in that office for 19 years. I also transitioned on the job in that office. Is there a story behind oh, that? Oh, fuck or? yeah, there was a story behind that. <laughs> I was like, you said it with, and no one can see it, but you okay. had this like grin on your face. Well, and you, you know, looked first right of at all, me, and I was like, like, okay, I think that there's more to this. <laughs> this is after my second marriage. I married a coworker the second time around. Oh, post office love. Oh, post office love, yeah. <laughs> you looked across from the letter sorter, and she was typing in three Well, she was actually a carrier. <laughs> oh, I went, you know, I went okay. To the, I went to was the it, dark side. Was it the side. shorts? Oh, yes, and she's cute, you know? <laughs> yeah, so we got married and all that. I've lost track of where we're going. Just the way she put those letters in the slots. Oh, yeah. Yes, I did that. Oh, yeah. So after my second divorce, I do what everybody does. I moved back in with my parents, right? In my mid-40s, and here I am living with my parents. During that first year of living with my parents, I decided, you know, I've never been into porn. I just, it's never been my thing. But erotica was always something that caught my attention, especially trans erotica. So I'm going, hey, there's something up with this. You better go check this out. So where Hemet is, is an hour and a half north of San Diego and about two hours east of LA. So I went down to San Diego one night trying to find a trans bar and I couldn't find one. I found some gay bars, but I didn't find any trans bars. And I remember driving home going, oh, thank God I didn't do anything. You know, like the guilt, you know, the, the, yeah. the eternal guilt. 
but that feeling wouldn't let me go. So I started getting on, I got on Yahoo groups and I found a, a trans group and I made friends with this trans girl and she told me about this trans boutique in Studio City, which is you know close to LA, and about a trans bar called The Lodge. So I made an appointment to go get a full makeover, buy some clothes and go trans clubbing that night. And I was so nervous that whole week before I went to LA. It's like, even when I was in the chair getting a makeover, they had to give me a beer because I was just, I was just too nervous. So in those days when I presented, I used to, I've had hair loss. So I used to shave my head, right? So my hair was completely shaved and uh, I'm sitting in there and they, they're doing the makeup and then they put the wig on. And I see Lisa for the first time in my life. And I could not wipe that smile off. You couldn't, you couldn't pry that smile off my face. And I went to a trans club that night. I was like a deer in the headlights. Oh my God, there's other people like me, you know? And it was, it was just a life changing experience. Yeah, and you're feeling beautiful. And yes, it's you like, know, and I get to probably saw that smile the whole night. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah, you know? And I started going to trans clubs. I was either in LA or San Diego. And I did that for a couple years. I started, what, in 2003? By 2006, I realized, like, there's something going on here. I had already started doing laser to get rid of hair because I was wearing makeup, you know? And the more facial hair you have, the more makeup you got to wear. So I started doing laser real quick, but I still thought I was just a cross-dresser. But I go, there's something going on here. So I, I'm going to go to see a therapist. And I went to a couple sessions, and she goes, honey, you're gender dysphoric. And the lights came on. It was like, oh my God, this explains everything. And six months later, I got hormones for the first time in my life. I got an injection and a few weeks later they kicked in and it was like, I could breathe for the first time in my life. I can't explain how estrogen makes me feel, but it, it's what has been missing all my life. I am so empowered as a woman. My female intuition kicked way up. My pain level, I uh, have a much higher tolerance for pain. Uh, I wasn't as depressed, but I was still living undercover. I would only dress I started going to clubs in, when I say clubs, a couple local bars in the small town that I grew up in. But for the most part, I would go to L.A. or San Diego, and I wasn't dressing full time. When was this? 2007, I think. It was Halloween weekend, and I was going to go to Hollywood with uh, some of my friends. And I got off work like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And in those days, it took me at least a couple hours to do my makeup because I didn't know what the hell I was doing, right? I understand that completely. <laughs> so I'm all dolled up. I'm getting in my car, I'm ready to go pick up my friends and head to LA, and I realize I have a postal vehicle key in my possession, and I'm not going back to work for three days. So I have two choices. Defrock, take this all off, drive down there, come back and put it all on again, or suck it up and go down to the post office. Guess who chose option B? <laughs> and because it was Hollywood weekend, I parked like 50 feet away from the loading dock, and I just walked in the back door, and a couple people saw me, but I know they didn't recognize me. They just they just laughed, right? Because I was wearing a Bowie wig and, you know, shorts and short skirt and fishnets and all that. But there's one little Asian guy that I worked with. He goes, excuse me, miss, and I just kind of blew him off, right? And he goes, excuse me, miss, I'm going to have to get my supervisor. I just kept walking. I get to my car, I turn around, and there's my supervisor, a little Salvadoranian woman named Maybell, and she's standing there on the, the deck with her arms crossed across her shoulders or, you know, across her chest. And I walk up to her, and I go, maybe I know you don't recognize me, but I'm Michael. And her jaw hit the ground, right? And the next thing I know, there's like six to eight of my fellow employees, right? Oh, and they're wow. standing on the, the loading dock, and they're about three feet higher than me. And I'm explaining myself to my coworkers. Everyone just gathered around? Yes, because they never, you know, and... Yeah. At the, and at the time I go, yes, I'm trans. I'm on my way to Hollywood. I go, at the time I didn't know that I was going to transition. I go, I may transition. And, you know, of course, everybody knew it at work. <sighs> 
in 2008, like early 2008, I went to work as the post office first time dressed as a woman. That same loading dock, I came to work while the carriers were having their break. There was probably like 30 guys on the back dock. And when I walked past them, you could hear a pin drop. Some of those guys never, ever talked to me again. Wow. Yeah. I put up with some discrimination. You know, I transitioned with people that I went to junior high with in a little small town. So, you know, it was, it was, it was the thing. And we had two sets of restrooms for each gender in our building. One was like locker room style in the back. And then up front for males, there was a uh, one urinal, two stalls. And for the women, there was just a one, like a closet almost, right? It was a one restroom, one person restroom. And they would not let me use it. They would make me, uh, I would put signs up on the door, like Lisa's inside, please stay out while, you know, and some of the guys would respect it. And some of them didn't give a fuck. Right. That's so, terrible. Yeah. And in California at the time, I had a driver's license that showed that my gender was female before I had the, the surgery. But because it was the federal, and this was before Obama, they wouldn't accept that. So they would discriminate against me. Plus, I had all those surgeries. So I was a what they call a rehab employee. So I was in like a limited capacity. And that was just another reason to, for them to give me a hard time. So they, they gave me such a hard time that I eventually medically retired. Oh, wow. I'm sorry to hear that. You know, you're putting yourself out there in this way that other humans should just respect it but they don't. I've never been beat up for being trans. I've had some people say some really ugly things to me in my lifetime. I stood up against a bunch of haters one time down in San Diego. I was at a trans club and I was <sighs> decided to step outside and go around the corner, smoke a little weed. And there's a little trans club called SRO, standing room only. And it was right next door to a little neighborhood market. And when I mean little, my bedroom is about as big as the, the, the store, market. right? So we had to pass the store to get to where was to walk around the corner and there's about four or five guys out there and as we're walking past I go hey ladies and then as I'm walking past them I can hear those aren't ladies those are guys and they're just like ha 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 so when we're coming back they made some other comment and I just turn around to them and I go I just went off on them I go hey this is America this is all about freedom of a choice and we can do what we want I, I, I'm not saying exactly what I said <laughs> but the funny they were all like a bunch of schoolboys with their heads hung low because no one called them out on it before right and then as I walk away they call me a crazy bitch I'm like well oh, fine I'm course. a crazy bitch Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to being a woman who just wants to exist in the world. Right. I was talking about this with your roommate earlier because she was saying that she saw a woman get catcalled and then she called out the cat call her and then her coworkers were basically like you're a crazy bitch yeah and she's like this woman can't just walk down the street without having shit said to her like she can't just exist no uh, that's that's a whole nother can of worms i had no idea how women truly got treated until i joined that tribe and i have learned so much about the attributes of women women are powerful wonderful creatures that men have hardly any clue because they have to keep it under wraps. I finally figured out why they did the uh, like witch, uh, Salem witch trials and stuff. Men are scared of women. They are. And um, I'm a raging feminist, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 don't, apo don't ever apologize for uh, that. I don't apologize that. for it, but it's like, no, I don't. I do this bit where I talk about the penis is not an antenna nor does it provide better reception to hear the voice of God, which kind of puts that whole patriarchy stuff in the trash. Yeah, I love and, that bit. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's true. They don't like, some people don't like to hear that, but I don't give a fuck. Yeah, no, that's what I love about a lot of your bits. Like, you know, you talk about, um, you know, going through the operation process and what all that takes, and people need to hear, you know, what your story is and what you've been through, you right. know? Right, yeah. I, as I told you last night, I had one childhood friend call me out like, oh, you're just doing low-hanging fruit, and you're 
your comedy? And I go, no, I don't think so. Because in a sense, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this, but I had become like a trans ambassador. You know, when I'm on stage, I'm different than a lot of other people. And I will talk about the stuff like, you know, my, my vagina or the things that I've been through. And then I will have people come up to me after the show and ask me all kinds of questions. Sometimes they're inappropriate, but then I have to realize I was just up on stage talking about my pussy. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's fine. I realize that that comes with the territory. And I've had so many people come up to me and go, I'm trans or my sister, you know, sisters are trans or my cousin or something all the time. I met... I can't remember her name because I'm lousy with names and faces, but the second woman who ever got a uh, sex change in America, I met one of her offspring at oh, the PNH wow. one night. Oh, wow, the PNH? Yes. PNH is an interesting place, as you well yeah, know. Yeah, it's a, a PNH cafe, but it's not really a cafe. It's not a cafe. It's, it is it, the smokiest bar I've ever been it's, to it's, in my life. Yeah, it's a dive bar, no doubt about it, but it, there's magic that happens. There. Oh, I love it. There's the such music, a good energy. Yeah, it's like where all the misfits go. That's what I consider myself now. I, I jokingly call myself a Midtown misfit, and it's a badge of honor. Because all the eclectic people live in Midtown Memphis. PNH is just like a magnet for, because you know, yeah. there are all kinds of creative people in there, you know, like oh, yeah. artists and comics and musicians, and you name it, they're in there. I've heard that there's been fights in there, but I have literally never seen one. I've been going there for years now. Yeah, I was like, I'm sure I've only been, I've been a handful of times, but every time I've been, it's been a totally different, unique, amazing experience. And I feel completely safe in there. Anybody ever fucked with me in that bar, I, I pity them, yeah. you know, because one thing that I truly love about living in Memphis is. People have accepted me. I have had, Jay Jackson just said it the other night, anybody ever does anything to you, I will fuck them up, right? <laughs> you know, and I, I've had that told to me many times. And I appreciate that. I'm not like, oh yeah, I want you to go beat that guy up. But you know, it's like. But just knowing that people are supporting you. Right. I mean, when I moved from California to here, to Memphis, a lot of people go, what are you doing? You're a trans woman and you're moving to the South. But Memphis has been magical to me. I can't explain it. I've had so many wonderful opportunities happen here that would never have happened in California, because especially if I just stayed on the mountain. Because living on the mountain is like living in the country. It's small town, and there's not a whole lot to do. And this girl needs to do a lot of things. I've had this conversation with other folks on and off this podcast, because I personally worry about this about being labeled as a queer comic or a trans comic or just like being put in that box versus just being a comic I notice a lot of times like there's a show where I'm either the only woman or the only gay person on the show and sometimes I wonder if like that was a purposeful choice just to be like look how diverse we are oh like you're the t like the token yeah. like, like my skater name for roller <laughs> That's not a good way to answer that. I take great pride in the fact that I earn my entertainment stripes in the city, not just playing in gay bars, right? I went out in the straight world and I presented and I go, this is who I am, you know? And I think if I would have just stayed in the gay bars, I would have been a little bit more timid. And uh, so, no, I don't feel that way. And I love putting on all women comedy shows. I want you to know that right now. Or all queer comedy shows. I'm, yeah. I'm all about that. But I love, I love the community. The comic community has changed because I moved to the city. Uh, it's not cool to make trans jokes anymore. And some of the people are a little freaked out about me when I first got here. There's this one comic, he'll rename Nameless, but he made a joke one time on stage about me and the crowd just wasn't having it. We did a radio interview recently and he goes, Lisa Michaels is a, uh, like a game changer. And there's lots of love and respect there. So it went from that to that. Oh, good. So he had that moment and the audience called him out. Yeah. And he actually was like, let me think about this. Right, right. Versus he, like, I can't believe they didn't think that was funny. Yeah, he, yeah, he didn't have that attitude. 
I'm well respected in this city, especially in the, the comedy community, because I'm not afraid to call out the, the misogyny. I did this bit one time at the PH where I'm standing on stage and I'm, I'm telling the audience, I need you to use your imagination. I have an imaginary daughter standing right here, right? And I go, and then I, I forgot what I called her. I go, no, honey, don't get too close to the edge. That's a toxic pool of masculinity down there, right? <laughs> and I just go off on it and I, you know, and I'll, I'll nail them for stuff because they had this attitude at one time like, well, in comedy, you can say whatever you want, right? There's, there's no safe words or not safe words, but, and, um, Memphis feminist collective used to hang out at the P and H all the time, but the comics with all their dick jokes and shit chased them out of there. So I yeah. called them out. Right. Yeah. You know, and paid a price for that a couple times. But then on the other hand, I've got more approval ratings, whatever you want to call it, uh, more respect yeah. because I have done that. And I'm older than most of the people there. I guess my, 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 presence and my thoughts have significance in the city i don't know that sounds kind of arrogant but it's it's it's, it's reality no. you know you're, I, you're allowed to pat yourself on the back and say i've actually added something to the flavor of this city you can give yourself credit for that i see it i mean I like you know that. the shows we did at queer fest you knew every person in the room and people were coming up to you left and right and i could feel the love from that and that you know i was appreciative to be a part of that I was you're sitting, allowed to compliment yourself i was sitting at the, a high tone one night i was sitting in a bar stool and i was talking to a girlfriend and another guy was standing there and all these people kept coming up hugging me right so my friends started teasing me oh lisa michaels no one loves lisa michaels blah 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 right but yeah it's true i'm very thankful for my relationship with this city i also have a band yeah midtown queer midtown queer the name midtown queer came about because i have a non-binary friend named ellen and they were talking about we were talking about passing one day this is when I still wore wigs and all that. And they go, Lisa, you don't pass. You ain't nothing but a midtown queer, right? And I go, oh my God, perfect name for a band. And here we are. And I guess midtown queer has been a uh, slanderous term for years and years and years. I never heard it except. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, neither did I. But I wear it with pride now. Yeah. You know, the whole word queer has made a big change in my lifetime. When I was a little kid, it, queer meant strange, and then it meant gay, you know, and now it's being, ex it's like our word, you know, we can use queer whenever we want to. I've had that conversation too, because I've had some folks, you know, the podcast is near and queer to my heart, and the monthly show I run is Greetings from Queer Mountain, and some of the older folks were like, that was used as a slanderous term, and I don't like that term, and I'm like, okay, but right now we've, yeah. I, in my changed. mind we've yeah the word has changed we're we're the ones using it and it's the best way because i want to be as inclusive as possible and have an umbrella term for everybody and that's the best way i, I see to do it and um, when i tell people when i'm on stage midtown queer is not just sexual identification it's a, it's a lifestyle and it's it's misfits we're all midtown queers all the people that you see in midtown are midtown queers whether they're gay or not they're we're, we're all the electric eclectic people yeah we're electric all right we're eclectic <laughs> Yeah, no, I love it. I, I was at Drew's. I, I did a set earlier and then um, and handed a set and then your band was playing. And when you guys were done, some guy at the bar came up to Han and I and was like, hey, uh, my place is across the street. You want to go hang out? We went there and uh, they had one of those Ernest Hemingway, cat, two Ernest Hemingway oh, yes. cats. And I was just like, like, yeah, my cat's got like 24 paws. And I was like, I am interested in this cat. <laughs> and it's just like a random thing. We went over there, had pomegranate green tea. And 10 minutes later, we were back at the bar. And I was like, this is like just really chill. And I don't know if he was queer or not i don't care like right. we just had this nice moment with this stranger who connected with both of us based on our sets and i really love that i love memphis because there's that it's not a cliche southern hospitality 
it really is a real deal. I have felt that many, many, many a times. I've had crazy adventures right in Drew's and, and going outside with strangers. You know, that sounds like a hookup. <laughs> I don't mean it that way, y'all. Usually it's to smoke weed or something. Okay. But, um, I was, I was going to ask about how dating is in, in Memphis. Uh, for <laughs> me, uh, I'm a horrible dater. I am. I, I suck at dating. So. What are you looking at? Are you looking for a relationship, hangouts? And I've been married twice, so. Yeah, and, uh, and I've been divorced for longer than I've been married, almost. I was used to monogamy, so there's part of me that is still trained for that. I am not going to ever be in an abusive relationship again. I refuse. I was never beat up, but I was in a, I married two emotionally abusive women. And my son will validate, so it's not like I'm just being sour grapes. But I'm not super sexual. Like, I'm more about affection and cuddling. So I want somebody who's affectionate. I, I need that. I want a strong woman. I don't want to be dominated so much, but I just, I need somebody that, and they got to be smart. Yes. Uh, <laughs> sapiosexuals. Brains are sexy. Goddamn right they are. Uh, I get tired of mindless chatter. I'm one of those people, like, if you ever notice me in public, if there's a whole party going on, I will walk off to the side and get involved with, like, one person and because that's yeah. that's a lot easier for me than little small talk. Now I will flirt around a flirt around a bar like a butterfly, you know, because I'm social. But asking for me, girl, you know, that's what I'm looking for. Uh, that's not real descriptive, I guess, but somebody kind. I know that I'm a handful, and I also know that I, I want to like to be a power couple. That's what I'd really like to be in. You know, somebody that's you know has got my back that understands things that I don't know, and vice versa. And not in competition, supportive. but in, in people have called my girlfriend and I that, and I, it just makes me giggle because I don't, you know, I I hope to believe she does she does drag and she sings and I do comedy and toast a bunch of shit, and it, it it is nice like going to a space where both of us have performed at or do perform at. You know, it's just really cool to have that and to have someone who I'm like I'm going to an open mic on a Monday night, and they're like, great, have fun. Right, you know, right. and, and they're not of, like, hey, you want to. Oh yes, when I was in my other gender in my other life, I was so naive as like think that when you're married, oh you you always want to do things together, and no, <laughs> no, you have to have your own life too, but you have to have your own life with the uh, approval sense of your your partner not that you need their approval but it, you don't want to have that conflict oh you're gonna go out tonight you know yeah no, no. it makes it easier when they're like you are chasing your dream and i support that and i'm right. not my ego can put that aside that like you're leaving the house and that doesn't mean you're leaving me and it doesn't mean you're out there flirting with the world it just means you're gonna wait three hours to do three minutes of comedy <laughs> exactly because we'd be sick and yeah. that's the part we should be talking about <laughs> Oh, you mean like driving all the way to Nashville or something for a 10-minute set and oh. coming back in the same night? Yeah, <laughs> I've done that. Turn and burn. But you need a partner that's like, I understand the need for you to do that. Right, exactly. And I was told by a psychic before I moved here that I was going to meet the love of my life in Memphis. She was pretty right on about a lot of things that was happening. Like, I was going to become so busy that I won't even see it coming. It's hard not to look for it, <laughs> but she's right. I have become so busy. I am involved in this city, and... I love it, especially at my age. For those who are living at home, or living at home, <laughs> y'all living at home, listening at home, this girl turned 60 this year. I cannot believe that. We're um, going to post some pic. I know this like podcast isn't visual, but we do post on our Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, so people will uh, you know, be able to put a face to the voice. Right. Because 
something fascinating about podcasts is like I've been listening to this podcast called Up and Vanished. It's a true crime podcast. And the way I pictured the host in my head, he looked like Luke from Handmaid's Tale, mm-hmm. June's uh, husband. And I looked this guy up and he looks absolutely nothing like <laughs> Luke at all. But I still can't get out of my head that like this is who I decided this, you know, voice without a body was. And now like I do not accept that that's who it is. And I and I think that's a really interesting thing. So I really do try with our guests to put at least a photo or two up so people can have that connection. Okay. Do you want the one with me wearing the pasties? Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> you offered and we got it, doc- we got it documented now. So yeah, this girl has. Pretty sure that's what's going to happen. I have changed so much since I'm. Memphis has helped me grow and I've gotten involved with so many things. I got involved with roller derby. I was a jam timer for four years. That means what's I, the, yeah, I was like, the, what's jam the jam timer is a person and when the girls line up to skate, the jam timer is the person that yells five seconds at the top of their lungs and then blows a whistle and then gets to stand in the middle of the arena while everybody's doing their thing. Mm. It was a great job. I love being around roller derby girls, you know? Yeah, they're uh, tough. They are tough. They're they're, they're badass, though. They're bad. <laughs> Some of them are scientists and nurses. They're all kinds of walks of life. That was a life changer, getting involved with roller derby because it helped me get more immersed into the city of Memphis. And I got to travel. I got to go to other cities and do it, and I'm, I'm all about traveling. I love it. Yeah. I said before I moved to Memphis that I wanted to use Memphis as my base, and I do, but I still need to travel. I still need to go to other cities. I moved to Memphis to chase my dreams of becoming a musician on whatever level that meant, and all these other things have happened since I've been here. It's good to chase your dreams, y'all, is what I'm trying to say. Doesn't mean that it's dreamlike every day. Trust me, hardly. Oh, can we do this one? Can I talk about my vagina, about what happened yes, to me? Yes, please. Oh, okay. We I'll love be- vagina talk. <laughs> My vagina talks. Here, you want to hear it? <laughs> I was at a swimming pool party a couple of years ago, and when I got in the water, I could tell that the chlorine level was too high. So I swam around for a couple of minutes. I go, I need to get out of this water. As I was getting out of the water, I noticed this woman standing in the middle of the pool, and she was catching dragonflies on the end of her fingertips. I don't know about y'all, but I've never seen anybody do that. So I waited over there and started talking to her. Ten minutes later, I'm catching dragonflies on the end of my fingertips. That's amazing. At one point, she turns her back to me, and there's a giant dragonfly tattoo across her back. So me being the Miss Hippie that I've become. Oh, hippity-dippy, this is the universe, right? Till two days later, I was at my Ghana college, and I had burned myself chemically so bad down there that she thought i had cancer holy shit from the chlorine from yeah because it, was, in the it water? was shock huh. the, the guy, uh, cole's uncle had shocked her the night before dumb thing to do it has started a, i developed a condition called lichen sclerosis which is severe vaginal skin irritation when i played pride a couple of years ago it felt like my pussy was full of razor blades that's how bad it hurt shit. so um i went to a dermatologist and she asked if she could uh, you know submit this for I am in the Journal of American Medical Association. And what I like to tell my, after I tell that story on stage, I go, I'll say it to the women in the audience, I go, not unlike a lot of y'all in here, my pussy's on the internet too. <laughs> but yeah, I went through hell with that. And I'm still kind of, you know, it'll never, it still hurts, but it's not excruciating like it was. I mean, it was fucking painful. It, it was bad. What I was told as a woman, when you get into a chlorine pool, you can put a little Vaseline or something down there to protect yourself. See, as a trans woman, I don't have the natural lubricants. So I was even more at a disadvantage. Oh. And But that's what happened. So the reason I'm in the Journal of American Medical Association is because, A, I'm a post-op transsexual woman, and then I got lichen sclerosis. So 
There you go. But my face and my name are nowhere in there. So if you look up that article <laughs> about liking squirrels, that's my vagina. But you're not, no. Nobody knows it but me. <laughs> and is it, is it something, and this is my ignorance of medical stuff, that like it happened and it's and it's fixed or is it an ongoing? Oh, um, it's an ongoing thing. Okay. I'll have it for the rest of my life now. I've met an older lesbian woman one time and she told me she has it. And it, it flares up. Mm-hmm. It'll flare up. Uh, I got the flu a couple years ago. And oh my fucking God, it came back really, really bad oh, because shit. my immune system was all messed up. So I have to take heavy duty uh, cortisone called uh, Topicor. And it's caused me to have stretch marks. It's it's like done divots into my thighs and stuff because it's that toxic. But oh, that's wow. the only thing that keeps it down. Plus, this girl has had over 20 surgeries in her lifetime. And most of them are orthopedic in nature. And I've had major back surgery so I have had nerve problems in my groin area for decades. At one point when I was in my other gender, before I even realized or figured out that I was trans, they wanted to castrate me because I was in so much pain down there. They wanted to cut a nerve in my thigh at one point. I'm glad they didn't. But when I had this lichen sclerosis and I was going to a dermatologist, the first dermatologist I saw, he goes, I don't think you have a dermatological problem. I think you have a neurological problem. And they gave me gamma pentin and it made that go away for a while. So I have two things going on down there. So it's, it's a lot of joy. And then gamma pentin. Don't take gamma pentin. It's a horrible fucking drug. It left me without the ability to walk normal anymore. I have tremors. I had memory loss. It affected my vision. I know it's good for nerve pain and stuff, but there's a horrible price to pay for it. That's my PSA on gamma pentin. Please, any other PSAs you have, I was like, let people know because there's certain things that the doctors are like, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. And it's like, yeah, but now I'm worried about right. it. Right. Like, I didn't know that you could be uh, physically addicted to gamma pen. So I, I started reading about it and I noticed like I was, my memory was getting kind of crazy and I was having all these negative thoughts. I read later that gamma pen causes suicidal thoughts. I never like, I'm going to kill myself. I would have these stupid thoughts. You're going to die today. And like, okay, that's nice. And they were ramped up while I was on the gamma pen. When I got off the gamma pen, those went way down. So, you know, I know it's a life saver for some people, but there's really a horrible price to pay for it. My mom takes gamma pen because she has a pain in her jaws. And it's the only thing that gets her through the day. But not this girl. I won't take it. Mm -mm. I recently just got off of Xanax after being on it for 22 years for insomnia. I don't take Xanax to get high, and I never understood that, but um, it also affects your memory. And in Tennessee, they have now passed a law that if you're on certain medications like Xanax or opiates or whatever, you have to get drug tested. Well, my doctor knows I smoke weed, so I was already starting to wean myself off of the Xanax anyway, and he was going to put me on this stuff, Buspirone, which is a generic for uh, Wellbutrin. And he gave me those to take a couple times, and I hated them. They made me like zombies. I took a a full pill the first day, I was a zombie. I took a half a pill the second day, I was a zombie. go, nope, I ain't doing this. But I quit the Xanax at the same time, so I was having anxiety (laughs) attacks like up. It was horrible. I feel more awake. I have more energy. My friends have said, you seem like you have more energy now. Yeah, you have a lot of energy. You're, you've been awake this whole weekend. You've been up before me. You're like, let's go, let's go. And that's not me because I <laughs> used to sleep till, you know. I'm a vampire, y'all. I like to <laughs> stay up late and sleep late. No, I'm not I'm not waking up with that Xanax. Uh, so that's their, like, solution to the opioid crisis yeah. is to drug test people? Yeah, don't, don't let them smoke that marijuana because you know that marijuana is bad. And then what, they throw you in jail and that's yeah, supposed they, to be or helpful? They, or they just cut you off because, you know, we have oh. a compassionate government out there. I tell people that 
when I um, moved to Tennessee, I knew I was moving to the Bible Belt, but I had no idea I was moving to the Chastity Belt. Because, <laughs> God, damn, there's some backwards politics here. There is. It's not just Tennessee. It's like the South. But We were, we were just in a, pan, a pancake house, and there was a guy with a six-shooter on his belt. Yeah, and that could. really made me nervous. And yeah, because he's probably pushing 70, right? Oh, and he was old. But just <laughs> on the belt, just out there, it wasn't concealed. And it was just... He wanted us to know he yeah, had it. Yeah, makes his dick bigger, I guess. You know, I don't know. I don't understand. <laughs> I know quite a few people in this town that you can have a concealed weapon permit in Memphis. And I know a few people that walk around with guns, you know. Memphis is a violent place. There's lots of murders here. Mostly there's certain parts of town. But I've known people who've been mugged. You know, it happens. And so I understand why people want may want to carry a gun. But, like, that guy... Unless there's something traumatic really happened to him, it was more of a I drive a big truck or oh, I, yeah. you know, you know. It was a swagger, and he definitely gave our table some interesting looks. And, oh yeah, you know. like we should be scared. Yeah, a bunch of queer folk <laughs> went into a very straight place and but, ate food, but the oh, food God. was excellent, and I've been treated really good in there. No, the waitress was great, I, you know, but there was a few people looking. Around. I, you could, you know, feel people looking around at us. But I get that all the time in Memphis. Because I'm six foot three and I have purple hair and I walk around, I've had some interesting stories or experiences. Mm -hmm. Being in a Kroger one time, when I'm walking down an aisle and there's an elderly black woman walking towards me, we stop in the middle of the aisle and talk for 10 minutes and we become Facebook Aww. friends. I have changed as, not only have I changed genders, I have changed lifestyles. I have become what I call a hippie. I'm much more free-spirited and open-minded and I'm not religious whatsoever. I'm that cliche, I'm spiritual without being religious. And as deep as my philosophy or theology gets is, I pray to the universe. It gets no deeper than that. I gave her a nickname. I call her Uni. So I pray to Uni. Mm -hmm. One day, I'm in a thrift store, and I'm in one of the back rooms, and there's this middle-aged black woman, probably pushing 50, a little on the heavy side. And we start talking, and we go deep. I mean, just out of the blue, like 10, 15 minutes. Guess what her name was? Uni. Uni. I have met the creator of the universe, <laughs> and she is an African-American woman. So all you white supremacists out there, fuck y'all. <laughs> but are y'all Facebook friends? <laughs> we didn't become Facebook friends. Maybe she doesn't need them. I mean, if it's God, you know, why do you need a Facebook, right? It's like she can already see your Facebook, so. <laughs> exactly. My face butt, too, probably. But yeah. <laughs> Well, this has been it's been so great to talk to you, Lisa. I know we've been talking all weekend, but I was like, we're going to get a recorder down. We're going to, you know, get some of this documented because you have so many great stories and we could do a million more episodes. Maybe we could put you on our podcast. I would love that. <laughs> I have a podcast with my partner, Moth, who is a uh, very famous drag queen in the city. And it's called Family Time with Moth and Michaels. Look on it on the OAM network. Got about five or six episodes out. And we it's all about highlighting queer, powerful people. That's awesome. We know a few of those. Can you let everyone know where they can find you? August 3rd, I will be in Atlanta, Georgia, I believe, at the Laughing Skull. And I'm going to be on Ian Aber's show. Who we've also interviewed for this podcast. There we go. Ian's awesome. Ian's great. Yeah, he's funny as fuck. And I get him stoned every time I see him. <laughs> um, I'd like to see that. I'm going to Chicago at the end of September with Jay Jackson. We're going to do a little mini tour. I don't oh. know where we're playing yet, but I'm going to go with three other comics. So that'll be fun. Yeah. Jay's also done an I episode. I have a big show coming up on July 24th. I'm right. myself a birthday party, and I'm turning it into a benefit show for the Metamorphosis Project, which is a... Mem Memphis is really bad with their homeless. It's really hard to get in. 
and they're really bad with queer homeless people. So the Metamorphosis Project is a homeless uh, shelter for LGBT youth. Oh, that's fantastic. So I'm turning my birthday into that. I'm outing myself out. Most people do not know that I'm 60 years old because I do not look it. You I don't sure as fuck don't act it. And I'm not trying to be like Peter Pan. It's just, it comes with the territory. <laughs> so I'm going to out myself, but I'm going to have three different bands. The Glory Holes that you saw. Oh, yeah. Brando uh, Naked. Brando Naked. And we're going to have Alyssa Moore, who's the one who did the sound all weekend. And then my band, Midtown Queer. Uh, Moth is going to be the host. Moth is a funny host, and Moth was a great Moth is She a, did a beautiful number over at the high tone. Yeah, she, Moth is Moth's the bomb. She's just on it. See, I feel so fucking privileged that I've got to meet all these awesome human beings in Memphis, right? They, and they brought me into their clique. All of it, a lot of it's happenstance. But anyway, so I'm going to have bands, comics. I'll have a drag queen. I'll have a torch singer, Annie. We'll be singing on our show. And it's going to be a thing. So that's the only shows I really have going up right now that you... Get on board with. And also, do you have any social media you want to share with folks? The only social media I'm on, I am a technophobe, <laughs> y'all. I'm not really good with computers. So the only thing you can find me on right now is Facebook, at Lisa Michaels. I have an Instagram. I think it's Look Like Lucy. Look Like Lucy. <laughs> Looks Like Lucy. It Looks is. Like Lisa. Because I've tagged you in a bunch of stuff this weekend. <laughs> You're like, I had no idea. So I hardly ever use it. So uh, I'm actually sitting down with a couple people this week. I need media people that are savvy because I'm 60 years old okay so i'm not real hip on a lot of the technology i was born bc uh, before computers <laughs> lisa thank you so much for being on the show um after this interview we're gonna play a clip of i don't know yet song stand up what do you want kind of one of both you can get them both I, all know, right i go both ways i'm lisa a comic and a musician. Ways. yeah so stay tuned for and, that and, and y'all can't see but i got a big ass smile on my face <laughs> right now because me, me and amanda are having a lot of fun oh we've been having a great time <laughs> queer fest next year memphis come to queer fest it is the bomb yeah anyway bye y'all thank you hey little rock surprise <laughs> i am lisa michaels and i am from memphis tennessee that's all i'll admit to i am a six foot three purple haired tramazon <laughs> not only am i a purple haired tramazon I'm a post-op proprietor. <laughs> I traded in some self-rising flesh for a pre-fabricated portal to paradise. <laughs> in case you get the message, I'm trans, y'all. <laughs> and I love being trans. Um. In fact, did you know that trans people only make up less than 1% of the population of this country? Closer to like a half a percentage. And me, being a post-op purple-haired tramazon, that makes me a minority within a minority, a subset of the subgroup. What I'm trying to tell y'all is you're looking at a fucking unicorn. <laughs> ITS is an acronym for International Transsexual. Recognize. <laughs> hey, Lisa, that's a pretty proud boast. How are you going to back that up? It's pretty easy. When I stand naked in front of a mirror, all I have to do is slightly lift my right breast, and I see three words etched into my flesh. 
Hecho in Mexico. For you gringos out there, that means made in Mexico. These marvelous mounds of memories were manufactured in Tijuana, Mexico. Not only they done wonders for my self-esteem and self-image, but they give me extra peace of mind every time I fly. You know when the flight attendants give me that pre-flight safety talk and they get to part about the unlikely event of a water landing, which means you just crashed into the ocean. That's when I tune out. It's like, what do I need seat cushions for when I got built-in flotation? <laughs> and I've been told it kind of tastes like cilantro. <laughs> Now, I cannot claim to be an ITS if I had solely gone to Mexico, but I have flown halfway around this planet, y'all, to Bangkok, Thailand, where I finished the reconfiguration process. You might say I went there to trade my Audi for an Innie. <laughs> that I became more aerodynamic and designed. <laughs> that I laid down my sword for a tunnel of love. <laughs> I made some startling discoveries soon after my surgery. The first was, it is totally useless to walk into the restroom in the middle of the night, flip up the toilet seat, and stand there. <laughs> now what? My days of writing my name in the snow are over, is what I'm trying to tell you. And I had the privilege when I was in Bangkok to perform in a piano bar. And as while I was walking across the stage, I go, oh my god, I can move around so much easier now that I'm not sporting all that dead wood. <laughs> For those of you who have vaginas, the first time I ever farted, I thought my panties were going to explode. <laughs> I had that pressure bunker down to take the impact of the explosions. No, it's all. You know that Jay Jackson guy? Yeah. I was here about a year ago doing an all queer comedy show. Typical Jay, you know, he doesn't put the straight white cisgender people on there. Yas! <laughs> and I did my set. And as I got off the stage, I headed to the women's restroom. And I know this about Lisa Michaels. If I don't know every woman in that restroom, I will not say a word, right? Just, I've had some experiences in restrooms. But as I was walking in the restroom, there's this young butch walking in behind me. And she kind of, we made eye contact and she smiled at me. Kind of gave me this look of approval and I go, mm, okay. So we get in the restroom, it's one of those two-seat configurations. So we're literally sitting there peeing side by side. And I break my rule and go, hey, how's it going? Stone cold fucking silence, right? So I immediately start mentally berating myself and going, way to go, Lisa. You put these rules in place, and you're like, you broke it. This is what you get, blah, 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 right? I finish my business, and I head to the bar. As I'm standing at the bar waiting for my drink, she slides up right next to me, her arm touching mine, skin on skin. And she looks me in the face and goes, hey, you made out with my wife in Memphis last year. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> now, as you all can tell, I'm a tall drink of water. In fact, my breasts are eye level for most women, just in case. And I so I'm looking down at her and I go, are you here to beat me up? She goes, no, honey, you're the reason why we came. 
And I want you to know that we all went to the Waffle House after the show. And I have seen that couple many a time since then. Lisa Michaels living the dream, all right? <laughs> So we had pride in Memphis yesterday. Yeah, we did. Oh, yes. Right? And you know, there's some of those Westboro Baptist type of creatures there. And they were holding their signs and their bullhorns and stuff. Again, I'm a tall drink of water. I got the inspiration to make up a homemade sign that said, I'm with stupid. And I stood in front of them. Every time the guy moved with the bullhorn, I stood right in front of him. I had a cousin when I was a kid. He's still alive, but when I was a kid, he was about a year younger than me. He had a tonsillectomy. And they grew back. I know, right? And I met a woman in Memphis last year. She said the same thing. She you know, had a tonsillectomy and grew back. So let me recap. My cousin had a tonsillectomy and they grew back. Can you imagine the fear I live in? <laughs> How many of y'all believe in reincarnation? Uh, a few, right? Well, wrap your brains around this one. This is a little true, but this may make you think about reincarnation. I had been on the receiving end of a blowjob and had my lady parts licked in the same lifetime. Lisa Michaels living a dream. You got any stones out there? What? Only two bullshit. <laughs> I am a bonafide pocket. My name is Stonerella. I love smoking weed. Y'all like to uh, do the caffeine and cannabis thing, get that little buzz going, yeah. do the housework. <laughs> yeah, you don't know what I'm talking about, don't lie. So I had this breakfast buzz going on and clean up my apartment. I'm like, I'm into it. I'm sweeping, and all of a sudden, like, I need the dustpan. Where's that fucking dustpan? And I run around that apartment for like 10 minutes, looking and looking and looking, and getting madder and madder and madder. You know what I want? Attached to the broom. <laughs> and as a stoner, I'm really good about putting things away. I'm the best. <laughs> Problem is, I just can't find it. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, yeah. When I was in Memphis last year, I was in the, the Kroger. Y'all got the Kroger here? Yeah. yeah. You saved that Kroger? <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I was walking down the, I was walking down the aisle. It was late at night, because I like to shop super late at night. And um, I heard this noise coming from somewhere. What the fuck, right? Stop my car, look around, there ain't nobody on the aisle. I get over on the next aisle, and I start hearing it again. So I stop this time. And I, Get my shopping cart, move it back, looking all right. Fuck, I can't figure it out. Get to the end of the aisle and I hear it again. And to my horror, I realized what it was coming from. It was coming from my vagina. <laughs> I started screaming. I don't know about y'all, we got big Kroger's in Memphis, right? And it took me a minute to find that restroom. And when I went in there, I get in the stall and I pulled down my pants. Do you know what I found? 
I found a politician in my vagina. <laughs> I hate to break it to you, you all got politicians in your vaginas. I think we're getting close to the end of my set, so you know what? It's audience participation time. Y'all ready? Y'all bullshit. Are y'all ready? This is call and response time. Do you know how big my dick was? How big is it? It was so big that the Thai government had to bring in a logging truck just to haul it away. <laughs> you know how hard my dick was? How hard was it? They used to call it calculus. <laughs> you know what color my dick was? What color was it? It doesn't matter because now it's rainbow bright, multi-textured, glows in the dark, and I don't have to sleep with it. <laughs> Do you know how tight my pussy is? How tight is it? What? Uh -uh. <laughs> well, if you don't have one, you ain't never gonna find out. So I'll throw a couple more at y'all and I'll share that. I'll be glad to leave. And you know what, Little Rock? It's been a pleasure to be here. Yeah. You know how good my dick was? How good was it? It was good for nothing. Why do you think I got rid of it? <laughs> I'll leave you with this last one. You know how long my dick was? How long was it? What the fuck is wrong with you, Little Rock? You do not ask a trans person that. That's personal. I'll leave some Michaels, y'all. Thanks for listening.
our guest, Lisa Michaels, for sharing her world with you. Special thank you to Ryan Golub and Jessa Fallon for your help editing and producing the show. You can catch Greetings from Queer Mountain, the live queer storytelling show, in New Orleans, Austin, New York City, Oakland, and now Baton Rouge. Thank y'all! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.